0: Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and Lucas's name is Lucas and this week we are talking about Thor Love and Thunder.
1: Yay! Very exciting. I'm very excited to talk about this. I'm so happy to be here also. I know we've been trying to get around to doing this so I'm very excited.
0: Yeah, I I have been wanting to have you on. Really, from the inception of the show, in a way, <laughs> and I'm I'm oh, glad that Oh wait, no, I'm honored.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. It, it it was one of those things where, like, you know, I had all these ideas of doing podcasts, and obviously, uh, me and Xander had the the radio show, um, uh, oh. when, at at the time, um, and yeah, just you know, we would have different guests on that every week, and as I was developing all these different ideas, I eventually came around to Pulp Friction, uh, and. Um, yeah, it just, uh, you know, as, as I was thinking of people who had been on, were you on, you were on me and Xander's show at some point,
1: right? No, actually, I wasn't. You but were not. I did. You were not. No, I didn't. But I did, I did know about your show. And also my friend and I had a podcast, like, this is a throwback. It's no longer on the, Like we had like a four episode thing, I think, where we talked about Marvel. So like kind of going with the theme here.
0: It's um, all coming together. That was
1: really fun but yeah (laughs) yeah
0: i don't want to as so many podcasts have i don't want to wed myself to the notion that uh every marvel movie is going to be a topic of discussion but um the only one we haven't talked about uh since the onset of the show is multiverse of madness which is easily my favorite of the of the marvel movies that have come out in recent memory so uh, interesting that we haven't talked about it but uh, it just didn't come up and it's good that we're not talking about all of them. We are talking about Thor Love and Thunder which um, it was a, a a fairly divisive film. Mm-hmm. It, I, mm-hmm. I feel like the general reaction was negative but there the, the two sides of it are not love it or hate it. It's like hate it or eh, it's fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I went into the movie kind of basically expecting it to be fine and that's kind of been my whole like understanding of how this this phase of marvel is going to pan out is we're just going to get a lot of fine stuff like i watched moon knight for example and it was like the cgi was god awful but like the rest of it was fine and Mm -hmm. um i I just think that probably in my opinion black panther 2 is probably really going to be the only like solidly good piece of like work that's going to come out of Marvel for this kind of phase um and not to dip like you know shit on <laughs> multiverse of madness by any means it's I liked it for the I liked it because it was different um and it was I like Sam Raimi style obviously like I think it was fun and campy and I got to watch it in 4D so we were like nice. like in the moving chairs and there was like <laughs> water spraying on us and that was really fun I bet, um yeah but yeah I mean overall it just wasn't um I think what we're going to see is kind of we're moving away from the kind of very like typical drama or like superhero formula and i think it's going to throw some people off and i think we're going to end up with a lot of like okay movies um passable movies if that makes any sense which they kind yeah. of always have been but it's going to be more noticeable i i I would put it like I, I think people have known what
0: to expect from Marvel pretty much since day one. And so I mm-hmm. think there are cases to be made about the stuff that's come out of phase four where uh, I would probably ar- I, I would argue that that Multiverse of Madness is, is one of the better Marvel films. I think there is a good mm-hmm. argument to be made, for instance, that Eternals is is one of the better Marvel films, but there is uh, the, the audience's expectations are being done away with and because you know this series is so built on expectations we're getting yeah. more of like a flat reaction to each movie even though they are like more interesting movies than a lot of the other know, stuff.
1: that's such a good way to look at Eternals too because it's my opinion that like I think Eternals the one thing I think really threw off Eternals was how CGI based it was I don't think that Chloe Zhao like not to talk about Eternals I know we're supposed to be talking about Thor but like um, Eternals, like, it, you're working with, uh, uh, a director who doesn't really have experience directing CGI, and so that's why it kind of felt a little disjointed in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I think overall, yeah, like, it's, it's that expectation and the subversion of expectations, and you're kind of waiting for a formula, and so when the formula doesn't exactly, like, you know, uh, uh, pan out as, it, as you, like you said, expected, then there's a lot of negative reactions to it. I think that's a totally fair point.
0: Yeah, and I think there was a different set of expectations for Love and Thunder because Ragnarok mm-hmm. was such a departure from the rest of the MCU. Uh, and those expectations were certainly subverted also. Uh, but we will get into that. They, we we like to do our up-top news segment, dun dun dun, dun what's popping And there is some big uh, film industry news uh, that is a few days out of vogue at this point, but that I still think merits some discussion just because I think there's a lot of confusion about what's really going on. Uh, it was announced really out of nowhere. This, this this movie that like people in the know knew was supposed to be coming out soon and that had not really been publicized, Batgirl, uh, was completely shelved. And the initial stories we heard are that the movie was pretty much finished. The test screenings didn't go well and they shelved it. And then as the days went on, we heard uh, that it was a casualty of the switching over to Discovery. And they're canceling a lot of the HBO Max movies. They want to focus on studio releases. And uh, the real story that has sort of come out with both Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Haunt is that there is a brief window, like a one month-ish period, as the company is changing hands where if projects get canceled they can be sort of written off uh you know they can make money by canceling movies and so they determined in these two cases where they're streaming movies that they will make more money by shelving them forever than they would by releasing them
1: yeah i have i don't know i mean i'm like the one person in my friend group who doesn't watch a lot of movies like I'm, I don't know anything like a lot about the industry, but that all sounds crazy to me. I'm not sure like on the research that you've done, like the articles you've read or anything like that, if you've seen any like good explanation for it, but like I saw it and I was like trying to do the calculus in my head of like, first of all, they're dealing with amounts of money that are crazy and unfathomable, like millions of dollars that I just think is, it's, it's laughable. But, Mm -hmm. um, I also, uh, definitely i'm just like trying to do the calculation of how that would even work so i don't know if you heard anything about like again how that would really work or if you saw a good explanation for it but like yeah
0: yeah it, it's definitely nothing has nothing like this has happened on this level before uh and there, there are a few ah uh, specific factors here. The fact that it is a DC movie, and uh, David Zaslav, the new head of of Warner Brothers, is very invested in revitalizing DC. I, I, but I also think the the fact that they are streaming movies and the fact that they are relatively high budget streaming movies. Ah, uh, Batgirl uh it was a ninety million dollar movie, which is ah uh, on on the lower mm-hmm. end of the DC movies but like a, a high budget for a streaming movie um mm-hmm. but i i haven't heard a specific explanation for what the the like legalese of it is all i have heard is that they can write it off on their taxes if it's a casualty of the the switching of hands that's happening
1: right okay yeah so that that was the one thing that i saw right was the the taxes and, and how that would exactly like be able to be written off and everything um, I mean, obviously like the, of course the conspiratorially minded of, of course, it's a very like, you know, queer centric film It's uh, directed by two men of color. Like it's, you know, obviously there's going to be that kind of thought around, of course, this is the movie that they're going to cancel out of everything. And, you know, obviously Scoop, which, you know, rest in peace, Scoop, a holiday haunt. But, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I still think it's just, I, I think it also the fact that it did come out of nowhere, like really, like. I knew that Batgirl in the back of my head was kind of coming up, but, um, I'm not as big of a DC fan and, um, I know like my friends who are really into DC are, um, were greatly disappointed by it, um, and so I I think overall it's just like the, the shock of it just coming out of nowhere. Also, it being kind of like a, I, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know it's a, like a queer centric, like it's kind of like a Batgirl's, uh, this version of Batgirl is queer. Am I wrong? Do you know? um i
0: i'm not certain that 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 has not come up to me but
1: yeah okay i'm i might be wrong but my point is that a lot of um uh people were talking about how like a bunch of other shows got canceled around that time period um and it just kind of like was an add-on to it so um there was the uh lesbian-centric vampire show that didn't get renewed or got canceled or something like that i can't remember um and then there was a couple other shows that had like you know there's the there's a couple other shows that had like, you know, centered around uh, lesbian or queer women and uh, lesbians or queer women, and those also got canceled. And so I think like, again, kind of going back to that whole like conspiratorially minded you know, it's like all of it feels like the world is against wanting to have, um, you know, good representation on screen. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And the the other thing that many have have been eager to point out as, as news has been coming out about this is the fact that they have not canceled the uh, Ezra Miller Flash movie. Uh, right. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which- Oh, God, yeah. The, the situation is still complicated. There. Like, it's something where if they can make money by canceling movies, they should cancel the Flash movie. Like, I, I fully believe that. Even if, like, right. the the numbers don't work out because they've been making it for so long, or if, like, you know, they would make money because it's going in theaters, whatever like like hey. that is the thing is that like batgirls are streaming movie and they don't it's sort of it's sort of a peek behind the curtain of streaming numbers that like
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly yeah i was just about to say that.
0: <laughs> that like streaming movies don't really make money <laughs> right exactly yeah but that sort of uncovers the hollywood math of it all uh and i yeah. also just think that um like i said as Zaslav laid out in the in the uh, investor call, which had some very funny um, sort of, you know, film industry gobbledygook uh, in in the in the slideshow that came with it, they he, he was saying that you know they're really invested in building out the this DCEU plan. I think DC has always been trying to you know slide up from under Marvel and come right. in at moments where like Avengers came out and they were like, okay, now we have an in. And then, you know, uh, th- this is sort of an era where I do think that the peak of Marvel is behind us. And so they're kind of trying to, you know, come up as Either the next one thing. to come up,
1: yep. yep. I think this is so totally, but I think, so Black Adam's coming out um, soon. Yeah. I don't know when it's exact release date is. I think for whatever reason that's gonna be there in, like, I don't know something about it, like just feels like it's gonna be a like a hit. And it might be, like, at the time of release, it might be, like, the only, like, movie that's going to be, I don't, I have no idea. You definitely are more in tune with pop culture than I am in, in many ways. But um, I just, like, was looking at the trailer and I was like, wouldn't it be funny if, like, this was the movie that did it? Like, Black Adam, who's, like, a like not unknown, but, like, he's not as popular as the other characters. Um, and I'm also very fascinated by all of it because, like... The Batman, like the, uh, uh, Pattinson, Robert Battenson uh, doing his thing. Um, that movie is now getting a sequel. And so I'm like interested to find out like, okay, how are they con- going to connect like anything to that movie? Cause if they try to continue it and extend it, it's just going to feel ridiculous because it's such a grounded film and like trying to connect that to the DC universe is like mind boggling. I mean, it's, it's just this, it's like the same thing as like, why does anything matter? In Gotham, why does anything matter that's going on on Earth when, like, there's a whole other battle that's happening in space? So, that's an issue with both like you know dc and marvel though of course you know
0: yeah i the from, from the fact i mean they obviously announced a release date for joker 2 at the same time as as all this was happening which i'm very excited for uh i think i think uh the batman and joker are, are situations where those are kind of doing their own thing and have their own you know sort of established mm-hmm. thing because you know the same time that Iron Man came out. That's the, I think the reason that DC's is always trying to come up from under Marvel is because Iron Man and Dark Knight came out the same year and Marvel right, sort of, right. you know, slid up from under them. So I think um, I, the answer in a certain sense is that, you know, standalone uh, things are more likely to work in the DC continuity because the whole the whole, you know, cinematic universe thing is sort of a novelty. And once someone's yeah. done it, it's not going to keep being a thing.
1: Yeah, it's, it honestly would have made more sense. Um, like you said, like the the whole um, uh, uh, issue now is like, it is become a novelty, right? And so it would have made more sense for them to do it, you know, try to compete and be like a, a side-by-side competitor. But, you know, if they had done it, like you said, it's always a timing issue. If they had done it after like Avengers Endgame that they're like, oh, they're just gonna, you know, profit off of this. And then also like, the squeezed um the the timing issue has been so detrimental to to the DC Universe suicide squad like the first suicide squad notoriously had a really short writing and shooting schedule and that's why it was like one of the reasons why it was such a hot hot mess was they were just trying to like push it out and I don't know necessarily Mm -hmm. if that's correlated to and like corresponding to um uh Marvel's schedules or anything like that but I do know that like trying to do things in reaction to marvel has kind of been at the detriment of the dc universe um or a dc uh you know extended uh, cinematic universe yeah. um and again yeah i i just think that it's like i personally and i honestly would say this even about like marvel comics is like it they ended up doing it pretty well but for the most part, I really only care about certain characters in isolation from one another. Like I I like the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I also really like the Winter Soldier because it's so grounded. Like I like the fantastical elements when they're fantastical and I like the grounded elements when they're grounded. I don't necessarily need to see them mixed together. It's one of the reasons why I actually really like Captain America Civil War is because, I buy it because I live New DC, but I also like how kind of, it's a spy thriller and there are some parts of it that are very ridiculous, but a lot of it is pretty well grounded and it feels true to the characters and not caught up in the kind of fantastical elements and that's the reason why I like like the Ragnarok or like why I like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies kind of there's fun um bright you know and so I don't know that's my take I like the kind of solo um stuff as opposed to kind of the really like forced together stuff it just feels a little ridiculous to me
0: I say that so to comment on where from from my point of view it seems like DC is going obviously they have the Batman franchise they have the Joker franchise i think they're still going to do some uh standalone things to try and try and recapture that if they can and and marvel is still trying to do something like that also um the the three like big franchise things they have coming up that they're sort of hoping will sort of gel in a way Shazam Two is coming out uh, shortly. I love Shazam. It is uh, a great, a, a great movie, and um, that that is one that uh, is coming out pretty close against Avatar Two. So they're maybe not, you, you know, they they're wondering if they can cut into that, and maybe just hoping for like a you know, high hundred millions, but not a billion dollars on that one. Right. Um, and then Black Adam is something that I agree could be. Uh, a, a turning point for them, and I think they're really hoping is going to be a turning point. There are rumors that they're hoping to build out of Black Adam and have him sort of be a big bad for whatever the next, you know, incarnation of this world is. um And that's obviously something that has been one of, there's been a passion project for Dwayne Johnson for the past decade that he's been really pushing for. And that's part of the reason mm-hmm. I'm excited for it, is because Dwayne Johnson's been, you know, doing these uh heightened kind of leading man roles for so long and I think in the early days of his career he was doing a lot of really interesting character stuff I'm kind of hoping that he puts a little more performance into into Black Adam I really like to see that absolutely
1: like a hundred percent I actually like I don't know, I, I might save it for streaming, but um, honestly it depends on, maybe I'll just go on a Tuesday for discounted, you know, discounted movie tickets. But right. my, um, I I definitely actually really want to see it just because I'm kind of excited to see, like, I like those aspects. Like I like Zatanna, like I love Young Justice. Like I love those kind of like fun, fantastical, like, you know, romps a little bit. Like those are really fun in DC to me. And I like the serious stuff. I'll, like, you know, obviously I like the Batman um, and I, I do like the Dark Knight from what I've seen of the trilogy, but um, I, I also agree with you. I think it's, it's, it would be really interesting to see kind of Dwayne Johnson to really like go and just go for it, you know?
0: Yeah. And the other thing they have mentioned about A, the Flash and B, Batgirl and how these things kind of conflict with each other is that Michael Keaton as Batman appears in both of those movies.
1: Ah, right. That's where he comes up. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So. I, I think they I, I think the, the Michael Keaton Batman is going to sort of be an inflection point for like turning this universe away from the Snyderverse uh, and uh the, you know, the, the uh, obviously the Ezra Miller Flash is part of that. And I think the idea is that it's going to sort of pivot away with this Flashpoint multiverse, whatever happens in that movie. Uh, that apparently the test screenings have still been good, so so they're, so they're not even worried about it uh, despite everything. Um, but one of the things that Zaslav mentioned in that uh, uh, investor meeting is that there are characters in Batgirl that they want to introduce later probably referring to wanting Michael Keaton to show up in the Flash.
1: Okay, alright, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah, I I... <laughs> i i I don't know if i want to say i hope they don't put out the flash because part of me (laughs) hopes that they do but like it's ridiculous
1: yeah i'm like kind of at that point where i'm just like i just want them to like burn their money a little bit and then feel stupid about like you know not to say that like the people working on these films deserve to be like treated well competent you know like that's uh, i'm mostly talking about the big studios like really like i just kind of want something to laugh at a little bit and honestly like this whole thing with the Ezra Miller and The Flash has been, it's been kind of like jaw dropping a little bit because you're like, uh, like I understand numbers and everything like that, but this compared to the whole Batgirl situation which you were talking about before is like, just laughable to look at like, if you're going to cancel any movie, like I get, like why not pivot Batgirl to be in theaters versus like, and take away The Flash? You know, like I, I know it's, it's hard also because they've been working so long in The Flash and like, yeah, know, the logistics of it are really difficult, but like, I. D- it's, I'm laughing, is my point. Like, I yeah. am laughing. And, and
0: and I would also just say that, like, if they want to set up a new universe, working with, an A, starting from a new character, starting from Adil and Bilal, who are these sort of, sort of you know, on the come-up directors, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it seems mm-hmm. like Batgirl might be the better method, even though, again, they put so many years of work into this Flash movie. Like, if they're going to break some hearts anyway, to me, it seems like Batgirl would be the better way to go. But I don't know.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Also. Again. Like. It, it, I think it comes back to just like what is playing. Like all theaters do is just play it safe. Right. We're going back to the whole like Scorsese like formula. Like is the cinema etc. Like you know the the whole. It, there is no room for experimentation unfortunately and so of course you know you're going to find the up and cut co- like you're going to screw over the up-and-coming directors as opposed to ones that are already pre-established um, but obviously The Flash is a different scenario because they have been working on it so long and at a certain point you're just like we have to get this movie out but yeah at the same time it does make sense that you kind of want to play it safe with big name actors and like you know um directors and everything like that so you know. yeah
0: my hope for that girl, I guess, is I don't know how this works into the tap tax scheme, but my hope is that like eventually they sort of turn it around to another studio and it gets put on, you know, uh, Netflix in three years or Tubi in in five years or whatever. <laughs> it just drops suddenly at some point.
1: Yeah, it's like found like somebody like uploads it on YouTube like found footage or something like that, like a bad yeah. like bootleg of it and something just probably gets fired. And I, I honestly, I honestly would love to see it. Like I, I want know, to see it. Yeah, I'm. I, I would really like to see it at some point um and i'm upset that it's not going to come out anytime soon so yeah
0: yeah
1: rest in peace yes uh so now let's talk
0: about thor love and thunder um as always i have some history we can start with sort of how this movie came to be a little bit in october 2013 disney releases thor the dark world Uh, It gets okay reviews, it makes $650 million, which is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, But like, pretty quickly, like within a few months of it coming out, it develops a reputation for being the weakest MCU movie up to that point. And it's pretty much maintained that reputation. Nevertheless hemsworth is under contract for one more thor movie they you know there's certain obligations everyone hated working on thor the dark world uh alan taylor the director said uh in 2015 quote the marvel experience was particularly wrenching because i was sort of given absolute freedom while we were shooting and then in post it turned into a different movie so that is something i never hope to repeat and don't wish upon anybody else
1: the Dark World was one of the movies I did not see, so I cannot yeah. comment on how good or bad it was because I heard it was so bad that I did not want to waste my time and watch it. Yeah, it,
0: it it's of the Marvel formula, such that such that you won't like, you, you won't feel bad for having watched it, you know, mm-hmm. like like it it moves from point A to point B. Um, definitely a, a very unmemorable movie uh yeah you don't have to <laughs> you know yeah I, it's, it's one of the ones you can... uh what feige initially said was that the third four would expand on the ideas of the second but it was clear behind the scenes that they were trying to move in a new direction and you can see that from the directors that they were considering by october 2015 they had a, a short list of directors they really wanted it was rob letterman Ruben fleischer ross and marshall thurber and taika waititi all uh largely comedy directors and feige says that they presented each director with the uh, with the quote 10 different ideas they had for the movie and they asked each of them to come back with like a unified idea of what the movie is going to be hmm. Uh, and what uh, Taika did is he made uh, a sizzle reel, which is generally not how things are done at Marvel. But he, you know, came, cobbled together some clips and some ideas of like what what the sense of humor would be and what the style would be. Uh, Feige was very impressed with it, particularly the way that it used uh, "Immigrant Song" by Led Zeppelin. And so uh, Taika got the gig. He made Thor Ragnarok. It debuted to rave reviews made eight hundred fifty million dollars, uh, is widely regarded as one of the best films in the MCU, and shortly after that they started talking about doing a new one. Uh and I don't have much on like you know, the 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 process of, of Love and Thunder. There isn't too much out there at this point. I mean there's some. Um mm-hmm. Hemsworth's contract with Marvel was up, but he says that uh, working with Taika really revitalized his interest in the role. It's been rumored now that he's signed on for at least three more movies after Love and Thunder. Um, Natalie Portman agreed to return. She also had a negative experience with Dark World, so did everyone. She agreed to return after meeting with uh, Taika one time, and she learned that he had been given basically free reign to completely reimagine her character. He and and one of the things that Y T T said pretty early on is that he intended to take the next film in a different direction, because if it was just the same stuff as Thor Ragnarok, he said it wouldn't be creatively interesting for him. He wanted to do something new, and the thing that he ended up doing uh, was more of a romance. that That was his goal: is to make something kind of kind of romantic and like a sort of inspired by some like pulpy romance novels and also some of the some of the Jack Kirby uh, uh, Marvel stories that were more romantic. Some of the things that YTT said in interviews as the film was coming up, he said it would make Ragnarok look like a quote run-of-the-mill, very safe film and that he was going to double down on the like absurdity of, <laughs> of Ragnarok. In 2021, YTT said the film was the craziest film I've ever done, said if you wrote down all the elements, it shouldn't make sense. And quote it's almost like it shouldn't be made
1: <laughs> that's very funny actually that's very him actually yeah
0: it's classic um james gunn consulted on the use of the guardians in love and thunder matt damon had received special permissions to enter australia to appear in the movie um and that's something that we kind of talked character. about yeah he's great he's sorry it's so funny go ahead i'm sorry so love to see him. The That is something that we also talked about in the Elvis episode, because they had cast Maggie Gyllenhaal and Rufus Sewell to play Elvis's parents. And then post-pandemic, neither of them were able to get into Australia. So they had to recast those roles. Wow.
1: Oh, that's crazy.
0: I did not know that. So uh, unlike Ragnarok, this film was written by Taika Waititi. Uh, who he had only, like, punched up the previous one, added a lot of the the humor, and there was also a lot of improv in that movie. Uh, He wrote it along with another new writer, Jennifer Caton Robinson, uh, who previously directed the Netflix rom-com Someone Great. It also had a different cinematographer for Ragnarok, specifically Baz uh, Idoine, I think is how you pronounce that. He was a relative newcomer. Um, where uh, I think Ragnarok was, was... It was not like a standard... It was not like YTT's guy, but it was like a, you know, cinematographer with a long history. This guy had just gotten his start on The Mandalorian and had not really done any other cinematography before that. Uh, so I guess... I guess those are just uh potential answers to the question of how this movie turned out so differently from Ragnarok because again the expectation that people had going in was that this was going to be another Tega YTT you know uh sort sort of uh chatty uh kind of kind of you know packed with jokes and and uh very vibrant and colorful and it kind of is that in a way But people's expectations, even just as both as fans of Marvel and as fans of Taika,
1: were not met. I felt like it was, I don't want to say sloppy because I don't think it was necessarily sloppy, but I just felt it was like there was something about it missing that I just really felt like, you know, I I don't know, it, it, it felt almost like a very saturated version of both away Waititi's style and of the MCU, like, in that it felt almost, it actually felt more formulaic than I think it was intended to be um, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. My, th- the, first inact- the first reaction I had sort of walking out of it, in a way was similar to my uh, reaction to Jojo Rabbit, which would be a whole other episode, but just in that like, I, I I very much see what he was going for, you know? Yes, yes. So in this case, like, as I was following the first minutes of it, obviously that f- very first scene of Christian Bale is so good and so powerful and gets immediately undercut
1: <laughs> as soon oh as God. he actually communes no. with the gods. You're so... Right, it's really funny because in that first scene, the editing of it, it like the, I, I'm talking about, like the shot to shot, like each individual shot. There's like so, okay. There's the scene um, when when he's coming in. It's like this beautiful, like the cinematography is gorgeous and like really, it, it it's actually really well done throughout the like whole thing. I'm you know, um, but the editing is really like like it, it just feels like you're like rushing through the entire movie, I think, because that's what it was for me. It was like, it was like a especially during that first scene, because all of a sudden you go from, you know, um this like these beautiful, like long shots of uh, Christian Bale and like such devastating like, you know, sorrow and the way he's community I mean, he first of all, Christian Bale, fantastic acting throughout the entire Absolutely. movie, held it together really well. Definitely one of my like definitely my favorite performance probably in the film. And um I mean then all of a sudden, you know, he comes into this oasis, right? And he finds his god, and we have no idea what's going on. And then, like, the way, I just remember the way that the shots, I can't, I I can't, like, describe it, but, like, the way that the shots went from, like, you know, boom, 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 and all of a sudden this god is dead, like, he has the sword thing, like, it just felt like it was so rushed through that we really had so much, like, we couldn't grasp onto it. And I'm not set, like, Okay, this was the first MCU movie in a while that had like a reasonable runtime, except for maybe *Multiverse mm-hmm. of Madness*. I can't remember how long it was, but like, yeah, *Multiverse of Madness* is
0: about same length.
1: Yeah, and so like those, I'm like, thank God we're bringing back like normal movie runtimes, but um, I-, I was still like kind of like lost in a way where i was still as soon as you kind of grasped onto what was happening all of a sudden then we were in you know on this other planet and you know there's like this really can't be like fight scene and like the guardians are there like then you have a whole nother set of things to grasp onto this happens if you don't mind me jumping ahead this happens later in the movie where um it cuts away from us seeing Natalie Portman um, as Jane Foster getting her powers and becoming Thor like it it all of a sudden, there's like a storm brewing, and you just get like maybe like a second of that happening. And then all of a sudden, it's in another scene. And I think that was also like th- that kind of like rushing through very like key moments it to like build up the story in order to kind of like go back to the comedy is what frustrated me, I think, is, is a word for it. Cause I know that Tekka Waititi can do like a lot better. Like he, he, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I know that he, he's not a very like, careless director but that's the word i keep coming back to is is like a careless sense of direction and and some of that comes down to the editing not sure how much that comes down to his directing and his writing but i just think it it just felt like that like careless
0: well i would point out when you talk about the scene of you know uh gore's uh first confrontation with his god i think part of Part of what I'm picking up on there is the, you know, suddenly the editing is very snappy and we're not letting moments sit like we just did for a very powerful moment. But I also think that the shot composition mm. in in that scene and in many, at many points throughout the movie, there's like a, a, a sudden steep drop in the quality of that. It's just a lot of like, a lot of medium shots that I think are... Uh, the scene composed sort of thoughtlessly, and there's, you know, obviously obviously he didn't edit this, and Marvel is known for, you know, stepping in in the editing room in a lot of ways, yes. but yes, uh, I, I, I definitely think that there are, a, you know, yeah, just like suddenly, you know, you're getting a lot of, like, very uh mechanically composed or even poorly composed Mm -hmm. shots and that also carries on through a lot of the rest of the movie where you know wherever they are as they're you know it's obviously this sort of jet-setting adventure most of the scenes just take place in kind of a nondescript room uh and a lot of a lot of medium shots of characters talking to each other for for the vast majority of the movie
1: you know, yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, I, I think that there are points, like, that first scene of gore, or, like, that, that first scene of gore is, like, beautiful, and, like, I think, I mean, also, it's very funny that you point out that the cinematographer, this movie was on The Mandalorian, his best, like, work was in the desert, pretty much, like, I think that's hilarious, but my point is that, um, you're, you're absolutely right, like, the whole, it just felt like, the like, bleh. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe yeah. it, but, like, that kind of, like, characters are just talking at each other, and, um, I don't know, like, it just, That's, yeah, it's like, it's like you can't, when you go into the cinematography and the editing, like you said, which was probably out of um, YTT's control, and like, probably out of, like, it was just in the hands of Marvel, um, you know, despite how much, you know, uh, control he had over the movie, um, I think you're absolutely right, but I, I think it's not so much that necessarily... The writing was, like, the the main issue, which I do have issues with some of the writing, um, and actually some of the themes that are present in the movie, but more talking about, um, uh, uh, the, the like, you see where the kind of, like, weird off feeling is coming from when you kind of get into the technical aspects of it. Um, again, like you said, like, not to just re- completely repeat what you said, but the whole, like, medium shots of people talking, it's like, I'm going back through the movie in my head mentally right now, and I'm like... Yeah, like, where's the creative Like, where's, like, the fun? You know what I mean? Where's the, you know, like, it, it, where's the, like, close-ups? And, like, even, especially for a romance, like, I want a cheesy romance. Like, full stop. Yeah. Like I would have loved to see some, like, crazy, like, close-ups and, like, some, like, lighting, like, you know, crazy lighting and, like, all this other stuff that's just, like nowhere here so like i'm yeah and i I think
0: there are a lot of i think there are a lot of cool even like painterly shots in in
1: ragnarok i think that is a very like visually interesting movie (laughs) yes exactly that's what draws me to it i think too um i mean because i like i was actually going to study photography at school and like i still love photography like you know so cinematography is a very similarly adjacent you know art like medium and so i like the kind of yeah exactly exactly it's like it's miss that's what it's like missing also is those kind of beautiful elements that make it i don't know i'm trying to find out how to say it like give it that pizzazz pretty much and give it that like spark
0: the other thing that carries over from that first gore scene that uh and there's something that me and my brother talked about it's very common in the mcu to have villains who who are sort of uh uh politically or morally in the right and are sort of like in action taking things too far I don't think this movie ever convinces me that Gore is a villain. Gore is completely in the right the entire movie.
1: No, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I mean, especially, and I think, honestly, I'm going to be, like, I, I, like, that's actually not one of the issues that I have themes with of them, like, punishing Gore, in a sense. I don't feel like he's punished as severely as the MCU does with other villains who are very clearly morally in the right. Eric Killmonger mm-hmm. being, like, the main one that comes to mind. But mm-hmm. um, I do think that um, you know, even the movie kind of agrees with you, and it's like you know, there's that scene in the the kind of throne room of the gods where Zeus is doing his thing and is like, blah blah, blah you know, like being a douchebag and whatever, and um, I'm trying to find the words to say. But yeah, like it's it's like it, there, you're right in that like, Gore is traumatized and he's been screwed over by these gods, and we are definitely shown time and time again that the gods are bad. It's just the one thing that he does is like you know, capture the children and whatever, and like try to kill our heroes who we're supposed to like. And so, you know, but I think when you kind of, and that's what's kind of missing for me is, I honestly think that they could have gone further in the direction and they might have. Honestly, again, it comes back to editing. Is like what was cut out, what was kept in. Editing that gives you a sense that gore was, again you know, killing people, we see, like, Lady Sif with her arm cut off, and, like, other gods killed, and whatever, who were, like, supposedly we were told, basically, instead of being shown that they're very nice gods, and they're the gods who you don't want to, you don't, you know, it's not nice to kill, and whatever, and that he's being corrupted by this blade, but, like, you're right, like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, he's right, like, he's literally right, and I think uh, some of that, the reason, we're, we're, like, missing some exposition to really see, like, what is, you know, like, why he is a villain in a lot of sense, besides, oh, he just ended up reacting as a traumatized person who just lost his daughter, you know, would probably do and act out violently or act out irrationally. Yeah,
0: and I also think that the, the piece that we're missing a little bit is forgetting everything we've seen before, because I, you know, obviously these movies are all in conversation with each other, but I think Generally, they're pretty good at establishing within the movie in some way that you're supposed to like the hero. (laughs) And I feel like that is also a little bit of a deficit here. Like, we see Gore's side of the gods are all corrupt and they don't care about us at all and we should kill them. Uh, And then I don't think we get enough of the inverse of here's what Thor really thinks and what he's really about. Like, he's pretty much just goofing off the whole movie.
1: Right, exactly. And I think... I think, and this is where I can kind of bring in like my whole idea of like family and stuff like that. So uh, one of the undercurrent themes of this movie, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but the thing that I picked up on was very clearly it's about like love and relationships and like very like love and children, right? Like at the very end of the movie, we see that Thor um uh like has a child now and like you know is raising a child basically, which like Dilf Thor is probably gonna be the best version of Thor that we get in a while, and I'm very excited. And um, But my point is that this idea of relationships with parents and parenthood and like that being the next step of maturity that you need to take, I think that like Does kind of work in a lot of ways of like making you see the line of Thor's. Um, in if you're just looking at this movie, or if you're looking at it actually, you know, in regards to the rest of the MCU, but even just as a standalone movie, you I agree that you don't see enough of him being good, but you do see a really good instance of growth. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what's really interesting though is actually we're missing, um, A lot of the growth that he has done over the entire rest of the MCU, in my opinion. I think um, the whole, like, you know, uh, skimming over Loki's death again has always been kind of like historically, like, in the MCU and especially in the MCU fandom has definitely been like a point of contention um between like the fans uh who absolutely adore Loki um and uh kind of the the directors and the director's treatment of Loki um but that's neither here nor there. My main point is that um I, I think like it, it does feel like he's starting from like square one again in a lot of ways and that was disappointing to me but because i do think that over the kind of the course of the mcu he has learned a lot as a character um so i don't know it's it's it it just is like that's where my issue is with showing um and not or telling and not showing also that like he's the hero like you know just you know building from one point to the next uh I talk
0: about how I I, I think the, detri- the 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 detriment of the you know characterization of Thor in this movie is that like Ragnarok it is sort of structured in a joke after joke after joke kind of way I think the key difference is that none of the jokes in this movie are funny
1: Yes yes oh <laughs> my god thank you for saying it No literally thank you for saying it I was I had to look back at my Letterbox review because I I'm like so there's very few movies that I rewatch. I just have a good memory. But I was looking back at my Letterbox review just to see, and the one thing that stuck out to me is the fact that like the screaming goats was in the movie, and I was like, way mm-hmm. to like like way to fucking show your age of like referencing a <laughs> nine year old meme that like nobody cares about anymore. Like it was so stupid and it was annoying. It was like an annoying jo- and I was like, okay, now I see like why people don't like this type of humor. Like I, it's this kind of like brash and unfunny and it's like okay again we're making we're taking away exposition and dramatic you know effect and even the romance is all undercut in service of bad jokes like it just like like bad jokes like really bad like um uh, there's moments in which we um you know we cut away from really important issues um uh, ah ah you know like it 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 also comes at the expense, especially of the development of the female characters. Like, I really, really would like to talk about how much Natalie Portman, how much Jane Foster, like, classic, like, although they technically, they passed the Bechdel test by, like, a hair, you know, her entire character is used for the emotional growth, her death is used as an emotional... Like, she's totally fridged. Like, she's literally, mm-hmm. basically like, killed off for the sake of a character's emotional growth, and as... It's really disappointing because um Teku Waititi like, positions himself as a very feminist director, and, like, you're kind of seeing, like, right now, Anna's a very feminist writer, and you're seeing that just completely go out the window in the case of this character, who is beloved and who is brought back to just die. Like, I get, you know, you kind of have to... Have have the MCU in a certain way. I'm not sure how much I was in his control, but the way it was written, like we cut away mostly from Natalie Portman's and Gore's stories, which like very much parallel themselves in a lot of way dealing with morality, dealing with like very heavy things in order to make room for like you said really bad jokes. Like it might be yeah. a little bit more <laughs> forgivable if the jokes again were good, but like I was like not laughing. It was like very like I, I don't know, it wasn't very witty. It wasn't very like you know, like, uh, uh, it just wasn't funny. Like, it just fell flat. I think, yeah,
0: yeah. There are a lot of things about this movie that do make sense. The point I had started to make earlier about like what he was going for overall, the 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 question mark, the how did this happen, is is in the comedy and how unfunny it is. And I, I, I think there's definitely been. uh uh, a dialogue issue running through the mcu uh in a way all along but especially in the last like four years or so i i but i the fact that this was written by by him you know i don't think that that the mcu is stepping in and being like you have to put bad jokes here um but i do think and, and people you know will point to some of some of YCT's recent work, you know, in interviews and in uh, in um, Free Guy and in Lightyear and some some of the some of the roles that he's had recently, they'll they'll point to him and be like, you know, he he he's annoying and he's unfunny, whatever. I think that his style of comedy is very often misused. This impression has sort of developed because he's sort of a flamboyant guy and sort of a fast talking and fast directing and fast writing guy that that he's like a Robin Williams type and you can just put him in in a in a movie and have him go off and he will just you know come up with a million jokes So if you look at what he did in free guy. And what he does in this movie, in this movie, and in a lot of interviews, you'll see that like it's really the same joke over and over again, which is that I don't really care and I'm not putting effort into anything. So I think that his that that I'm not saying that as a negative thing. I just think that his persona is closer to like a Chevy Chase. I think.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, I I mean the one the one movie I would actually compare it to, like the one movie I would compare his style to, um, that I'm. Ninety-nine percent sure he did not have a hand in. Um, actually, it's one of my like favorite movies. Is the death of Stalin? Um, is like a kind of more contemporary like mm. like film that I definitely think reflects his style. And I I started getting to like this one. It it's a very like fast-paced, like, miss it if you, you know, like, blink if you miss it, or blink and you'll miss it, (laughs) um, kind of style of humor, um, it's very, like, self-referential and very, like, it's satirical, and I think that, again, that's, like, more Chevy chase esque like, it's not kind of, like, a slapstick, it's not kind of, like, a Robin Williams, it's, it's very much, like, self, uh, like, flagellating in a lot of ways, like, it's, it's very, like, I don't know, like, I don't know necessarily, like, you know how it's not very like nihilistic and kind of like the traditional like Jewish comedy sense, but like it is very like there has to be a kind of dark element to it, and I think that to like really make it like really really yeah. funny, and I think that's what's missing. And I think you've touched on something really good of like people are just kind of throwing him in places, and it's not clicking because it's not the situation in which he really thrives as like a comedic writer and director.
0: Yeah, and then you really go think back to Ragnarok and the fact that it was not written by him and he, you know, had other writers, people who had done other stuff in the MCU uh, who, you know, made this story and decided it would have a comedic sort of bent and then Taika came in and punched up the writing and there was also improv involved. And then, you know, I think you can sort of see how when he was left to his own devices a little more, it became almost a, like, george lucas situation where like you know it was never really just about him
1: yeah 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 it's it's really funny i think it's it's really interesting kind of to look at what directors create when they're given complete creative control and um i I think it's also really interesting because you're never really going to get like complete creative control in the mcu but um i think like this the whole jump from Ragnarok and from, um, you know, uh, to Thor, Love, and Thunder is really interesting in that, um, like, like, you're right, like, that change in writing is just, like, where I think a lot of it falls apart, as well as the editing and as well as, like, a lot of other elements, but, like, I don't know, like, it's, it's, I give it its, uh, flowers in that I think that it's very, I'm just glad that it's not the same bullshit, you know what I mean? Like, I'm glad it's kind of not the same, like, you know, it's I'm glad it's not a repeat of Ragnarok, although it's, I'm going to be honest, at some points it feels like you're kind of trying to relive the glory days of what Ragnarok was. Um, yeah. But I do think, I'm glad that it's not just kind of typical MCU schlock and whatever. Um, I don't know, it's, it's a very interesting movie, and in then I think that it represents a very... I think kind of pivoting like in a slightly different direction, but I think it represents a very interesting moment for not only Taika Waititi as a director, but also just the MCU in general. Um, in that I think that it's kind of the mark of the end in a lot of ways. Um, I think that it's a very interesting like show of like, like the carelessness that is involved. In my opinion, in this movie, which is weird because, like, you look at the interviews with Tiger YTT or any of the cast, and they're like all for it. They're like, we put so much love into this movie, and like, we did all this other stuff, but like, it still comes out as like a careless product. And I think that some of that has to do with like, there's like a lack of like, you know, uh, desire to maintain this ball rolling for any longer. And so they might as well just have fun with it. And I, I appreciate that, honestly, because I'm glad somebody else isn't like, you know, like, I'm glad that they're kind of, like, just having fun with it while they still can, pretty much. But, um, yeah, it's a really fascinating thing to witness. Kind of, like, this this whole uh, uh, spiraling down and, like, uh, winding down, I think is a better way to to put it, of this huge, like you mentioned earlier when we were talking about Batgirl, like, this huge novelty project at this point. Like, it's, it's I don't know.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it's definitely of note that Hemsworth is pretty much the last of the... Original Avengers are still meaningfully involved in this series, but I we'll we'll talk on that on that a little more. I think w- what I say earlier uh, about I know I see what he's going for. I think just to, since we're talking positively about the movie a little bit, I I think it has a very unique tone and and uh, structure, like point A to point B about it. That that yes, feels kind of rushed uh in a lot of like scene to scene moments but uh, interesting moments but scene, i think it moves and has the sort of t- tone of a of a comic book of like a silver age marvel comic in a way that i don't think anything else in the mcu does like the the way the characters talk to each other even the the, the level of performance that's there i feel like it you know has that movement to it
1: I think that's also really interesting, talking in relationship to the kind of idea of um, the kind of stage that the MCU is in. Like, you definitely are in almost like a Silver Age, like, you know, like, this is the kind of, like less, you know, you're going to find more experimentation in here and you're going to find a little bit like different, you're going to find a different kind of formula coming out because uh, this is a new era I think it's a, a marking of a new era um, in a lot of ways. I think really Multiverse of Madness kind of captures that the best but I think that this is kind of the time that people are like the most aware of it in a lot of ways and that's where people are like this feels different and weird and like I don't know, like it, it, there's, I think that there's an interesting parallel there of of like, like you said Silver Age comics, um, you know, kind of versus like what direction the MCU is going to be going? Is it going to be kind of going downhill? Like what are we going to see coming out of uh, you know, the rest of, of the the uh uh characters, what's gonna to happen to them, etc. Like I think we're in a really interesting era where we're still kind of seeing things move forward. Um, but they might need they really need to to adapt in a lot of ways um to a different time period, which is where you mark eras of comic books and and like anything that's been long-lasting like you have different phases and different eras and stuff like that
0: yeah and if you look at what's in the pipeline for marvel going forward something that really occurs to me is that they're really only going for the the guaranteed hits in a way you know they they're doing ant-man 3 uh uh the marvels is maybe the closest thing to an experiment they've got in the pipeline but they you know have just announced they're doing blade uh, blade is blade you know they know blade's gonna make money <laughs> yeah <because laughs> they're it's doing uh,
1: it's fucking great yeah
0: yeah they're doing fantastic four they're doing uh thunderbolts i guess it's kind of an interesting thing i don't think that's going to work but we'll talk about that yeah uh they're doing two two avengers movies in a year They they are going they are going big from this point on <laughs> right, exactly yeah and so i I, th- I think that's going to end up pretty similar to phase four and that like they'll keep making money at least for a while uh and just the the interest won't be there as much i think with thunderbolts which is going to be the end of phase five is going to be sort of the avengers movie of that phase um the thing is, we don't really know anything about those characters. And, you know, a lot of them are from the, the Disney Plus series that definitely had a lower viewership than the movies, and I certainly haven't seen most of them. Um, but, but so right. I, 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 think, I think that it's likely that Thunderbolts is going to suffer from a lack of connection to, to, to those characters. And I just look at the the whole scope of things. There's definitely things I want to see there. But I think um, this Phase 4 mode, as much as this was an era where they're like, okay we're taking a breather now. We're going to let directors have a little more free reign and get some out there directors like a Chloe Zhao, like a Sam Raimi to uh, sort of do something that's in their style. And then we'll just put a little bit of MCU sauce on it. Even as they're moving away from that, I think we are decidedly in an era where the excess of like fan, you know, frothing is is sort
1: of behind us. Which I'm gonna be honest, thank God. Like, (laughs) like, as, like, I, so, um, I have, like, a really personal relationship to Marvel because in a lot of ways, like, this is gonna sound so weird but it was like my 21 pilots like it was like my classic like white boy like got me through middle school kind of thing like that was the fandom that I was really in that like kind of um it also is like um it's how I like connected with my dad in a lot of ways my brother um and so it it was it it was always a source of comfort for me um however (laughs) um I am not a kid anymore and to see people like my age and older who are just again like frothing at the mouth and like just going crazy and like having this crazy disco like i'm just glad to see a, a change in that where it's like you know um like <laughs> if you ever like see people like you know react to like Almost like um, um, when Twilight kind of had its renaissance when people are like, you know, having very serious discussions about, you know, the harms of the MCU and like, or like have the harms of, to use the metaphor, to use the harms of Twilight and like the interesting nuances of the characters and how Stephanie Myers like wrote the book, whatever. And people on the outside just kind of yelling about how bad it is. Um, I think we're going to kind of see more of that like, like kind um, of self-sealed sense of fandom in a lot of ways, which I think is kind of where... It was always going to end up in a lot of ways, and honestly, it, it's where it's been for a while. It's just that that the walls of those fandom have been very uh, broad and very like uh, uh, kind of like membraney. Like people can come in and out pretty much, um, uh, or if you know, you hate it, you hate it. If you love it, you really like it, whatever. But I, I think in general, like that shift towards um, that kind of classic like closed walls fandom is is really what we need right now um and i think it's going to harm disney in a lot of ways i think again it's going to end up being kind of detrimental kind of like let's say by like 2027 really because really that's how far out they're planning these movies like we're going to get projects experimental projects canceled before we get anything like you know big canceled but um i think overall it's going to be beneficial in the sense that um we you know will get a interesting shift in the kind of uh uh milieu in our like understanding of Marvel. like i think people are going to take start taking a really critical lens to it finally um who are not actually within the fandom and i think it's gonna be it's gonna be i don't know uh elizabeth olsen said of of multiverse of madness like she said like in an interview that just stuck out to me i think with um who did she talk to she was in an interview and she said oh every single movie i sit down and i think that this is our first flop i'm excited for marvel's first flop truly like even eternals like as much as people sit on it like they just kind of just disassociated with the mcu but i'm excited for a real mcu flop go ahead yes please take it take it
0: the the thing that I think I that I think Marvel has always and Disney in general has always been good at is covering up their failures because you know e- e- even Eternals is very much not the first time that Marvel has failed. They're very good at this spoken mirrors like we've planned it all out in advance and here's our we we're thinking ten years ahead. We just went to a meeting and we planned the whole. You, you're not going to believe what you see. Meanwhile, if you look from one Marvel movie to the next, they're always always retconning. They like yes. like nothing is set in stone at the end. Yes,
1: that's such a good. That's actually really. Yes, yes. Like, perfect. Like, put it into words, pretty much. I do think, um, Kevin Feige is, like, insane. Like, he's, he's unhinged in ways Mm -hmm. that I I actually kind of respect in a lot of ways. I mean, like, I'm, (laughs) I'm kind of, like, shut up. But also, like, I'm, like, you're really in, like, you are, like, I don't know who's got you hostage or something like that. But, like, really, like, great. Like, go for it. But, um, I, uh, also, again, just multi-person madness and Kevin Feige's interference making it, like, like, was, is a really interesting story there, um, about, like, how a lot of the stuff that Sam Raimi wanted to do was kind of shut down by Kevin Feige, and, like, he added in some, like, really stupid elements. I think that's a really interesting conversation to have, but, um, uh, anyways, I, I also, uh, definitely agree in that, um, I, I'm desperate for what's probably never going to happen again because Disney, like you said, is really good at um, uh, uh, kind of like getting rid of all the um, flops and everything like that. I don't know. I I think that Thor Love and Thunder is going to also get the same treatment in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, what happens
0: eventually is that the failure is, is, you, you know, the MCU. I think we're already in the phase where you know, the, um you, you know, the more experimental parts of the MCU are being canned in favor of, like I said, having every movie be an event movie. We're already in the point where they are kind of trying to cover their tracks. And, you know, by having, by having every movie be an event movie, they are trying to, you know, keep themselves relevant. I think that what's going to happen in the end is that the MCU is going to get more and more consolidated and then the, the flop will be Marvel itself, and so Disney will say that never happened.
1: Yes, that's that's exactly. I mean, sorry to interrupt, but no, no, that that's exactly. I think that's you're putting exactly everything into words of what I've been kind of thinking for the for a while as like a huge fan, like. Um, I, I think that that kind of, um, what's gonna happen is, is a lot of these more, exp- as like the fandom kind of shrinks and, and becomes more self-contained and like all this other stuff, we're gonna see a desperate struggle to return to the MCU and return to the OG, like, you know, original style and formula that was so successful, um, and then yeah. that's, but it's gonna be so far in the future and so far from removed from any of the characters that people even gave a shit about, like, Um, I just hope it happens before they try to touch Young Avengers, because I really cannot, like, like, they're gonna get to Young Avengers, I think, at some point, even though it's kind of, like, a, like, a little bit of, like, a niche in the comics, but, like, they are gonna try to do a Young Avengers, and I can't deal with, like, a straight Young Avengers, like, I can't, like, I can't deal with a straight washed Young Avengers, like, already, they're already touching those characters in ways that I don't, like, I'm just so stressed. <laughs> but my point is that I think you're absolutely right, is that the the desperate kind of struggle and like desire to return back to the original um uh, formula will end up being its own downfall because nobody's gonna give a shit about any of the characters and really character-driven stories is like what like kind of Marvel like uh, uh instead of like narrative driven stories is is actually what Marvel really did um and like Capitalizes off of, and so when you no longer have access to that, then that's going to be like really detrimental.
0: Yeah, and the the next thing after that might be, you know, nostalgia for the you know first phase of the MCU. Exactly. It might be,
1: exactly. Yep.
0: It might be a Star Wars situation where first Solo flops, and they're like, okay, we're canceling all the side projects, and those will just be on Disney Plus. And then Rise of Skywalker is a, not a bomb, but everyone hates it, and so they're like, okay, so we're gonna kind of. Not cancel the Star Wars movies that we have coming up, but kind of stop talking about them, right. <laughs> you like, know, it like just... it, it, it. Yeah, but um, the the tension there, and I want to get back into the movie. There are other things to talk Please about, do. but the tension there is uh, between the 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 plan which might come from disney pressure being like if every movie has to be big every movie has to be need to see this um it had you know we need only no way homes from here on out uh and feige we've seen in interviews where he talks about how he how he loved having a sam raimi just someone who already knows what they're doing and not having to look over the shoulder of the director. And so I think there's the tension there of Feige getting kind of worn out and, <laughs> and and Disney wanting to go bigger and bigger. That I think is going to create some very, you know, I think the the weird tone mishmash happening in this phase is going to continue from this point on because of that.
1: That's a good point. And um, before we get back to the movie, I do want to say I uh, Kevin Feige's mental breakdown is something I never want to see. Mostly for himself. Like, I hope <laughs> the band is okay and he takes care of himself. But... Um, uh, that would be a scary thought to have. I honestly, if he just like walks out onto like San Diego Comic-Con stage and just like starts screaming into the microphone, I would not blame him. Like really. Um, but also yeah. I would blame him because some of this is your fault, man. Like really? But, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, he's, he's a, he's a giant cog in this machine, like a pretty big cog actually. But anyways, yeah, yeah. Back to the movie. If you wanted to talk about anything in particular.
0: Let's talk about Natalie Portman.
1: Please, please. Always. Please go ahead. What thoughts do you have?
0: The the thing I put on Letterboxd, you know, I don't log everything on Letterboxd because I see so many movies and I just can't be bothered, um, but I, I'll put a little joke on Letterboxd if I have one when I walk out of the movie, and the thing I put on Letterboxd for Thor Love and Thunder is that Natalie Portman's, the story of Natalie Portman becoming Thor is exactly how Michael Morbius became Morbius.
1: Oh, I forgot that was you who said that because... <laughs> That was so funny. Oh, my God. No, oh, my God. And the more that I think about it, the more that you're right, and the more that I'm angry at you in the movie. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at the movie, actually, but that's so funny. Also, his name being Michael Morbius. I'm sorry not to talk about Morbius, but, like, oh, perfect movie. I haven't seen it, but perfect movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's ideal. Don't see it. I just have it be perfect. But... (laughs) It, it's fun, but um, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this has not become all about how much Morbius is so confusing. Go ahead. Talk about uh, Natalie Portman. It's worth seeing, but the, um,
0: th- you talk about the parallels with gore where they're both uh, confronting, uh, mortality and sort of the, the notion of like, what, what is the universe brought to me? And uh, yeah, I just think that, you know, I mean, there's, there's the direct, like, you know they're both doctors and scientists and they both have this this disease that's killing them and they both um, i'm talking about morbius here and they both um uh you know are working with blood and trying to find you know <laughs> cures that way and then they stumble upon something supernatural that ends up uh, uh, uh curing them but kind of killing them also
1: uh <laughs> well spoilers for morbius Jeez, i'm kidding i'm totally kidding please continue
0: <laughs> like first 20 minutes of morbius <laughs> yeah, um, <I> but <laughs> it's not even deep level morbius Yeah, no, it's, but here. still spoilers
1: so maybe a uh, tiger spoilers please um okay
0: <laughs> tiger spoilers. um i i think portman is not not bad in this movie but i see why someone would think that she's bad in this movie <laughs> yeah.
1: um not i think i think she's enjoyable in that like I, I i think it's just like it's natalie portman like it's not even Jade at this point like it's just and i think it's always kind of been like a little bit but like um right. I, I and i i appreciate that i love natalie like she is such a i like her in this like she's a very like i think the thing is just it makes it sad because again of going back to fridging, like she's a character who is very clearly fridged. And like I am mm-hmm. upset um by that because I am upset at how the MCU frankly treats women, and it's just a kind of another example of that, and blah 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 blah. And I'm also upset because like God, like we really only got one or two movie. Well, I'm just not even gonna count for the dark world because I didn't see it in i center of the universe, apparently. But like, you know, we really only got one movie with her where she's like really kind of doing her stuff, and um, you know, I don't know like it's it's so frustrating to see this character. It just makes me a little sad. Um I think is the thing is like you you have your yeah you're kind of, again, if we're also, if we're treating it, okay, if we're treating it as an MCU movie, it's a little bit different, but if, especially if we're treating it as a standalone movie, where we see this woman who we're told is a great scientist, and we're kind of shown, where she does, like, the whole thing, where she stabs, like, you know, the pen through, like, her her book, and, like, she rips out a paper, you know, like, that was cute, and I, like, I actually really enjoyed that, um, but we're mostly still told a lot about her character, um, in the same way, actually, as Gore, um, but I digress, but, um, I, I think that it's Really, it makes her character in a lot of ways more tragic and not to, uh, not in a positive way. The film, like, not uh, to the yeah. credit of the film, it actually ends up kind of making her again used for Thor's own character development. Which, again, if we're looking at the entire, like going back to looking at the entire, um, uh, part of the MCU is completely backtracked again, um, for the sake of, uh, 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 what I don't know what like it's like you know this character growth almost has kind of already been done in some ways um I think the element of parenthood and the element of children really actually is like, actually very lovely and, like, very sweet to the credit of the film, but I still think a lot of it is, like, his immaturity should not, like, he kind of got over it in a lot of ways. Like, he he he's a more mature character than he was in Thor 1, and then in Thor 2, and then in Thor 3, yeah. and then in Avengers Endgame, and, like, all these other places, like, he is no longer really that character. And I think some and, of uh, it was... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, please, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think there's a, there's a structure, there, there's a superstructure to that that sort of has to be the case. For when you're talking about the same character in different movies uh, where they're like, they they have to go through the same struggle in a different way. And I Mm. think that, you know, maybe carries over more easily uh, in comics because you can sort of, uh, you know, there's an expectation that you're, you know, people have an expectation going into a comic that doesn't necessarily change from one comic to the next. As much as when when you have all these Thor movies where he is... Going through the same journey, and you could also say that about i think it's done very done better with the character in the Iron Man trilogy uh and and with dr Strange in a way um mm. but like it, it reaches a point especially since they sort of give the, the thor sort of is a is, is a key emotional point in all the Avengers movies for some reason um the, the the fact that they sort of have him keep keep undergoing the same process over and over when, when you get to a movie that again is is sort of flighty and 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 it, it is having him under again i i do think that parenthood makes sense as a next step for that uh but yeah it becomes annoying
1: yeah exactly that's that's a, a, that parenthood kind of like you're kind of giving the same general structure um to a character right but you're putting different themes on top of it i think it obviously makes sense for like you got a comic book character which uh like going back to what you said earlier about how this movie kind of reflects comic books in a way like that no MCU movie really does i think actually a really good point thematically but um like it's really fascinating to me because as like coming from the fandom perspective you are like, you see a lot of people who are very invested in the emotional growth of these characters, and so there's a really interesting moment where you have, and you you actually do see character growth and change, like, I think a really good example is obviously, like, Avengers Endgame, like, he is the emotional, like, really, like, truly, he is probably one of the main emotional centerpieces in, I mean, he's kind of, like, dropped in like the middle of it but the beginning and the very end he's very much like a, a huge emotional center and you see that growth kind of over the entire like three hours of that movie my god um but my my point is that um it's so interesting to see him regress i think in a lot of ways or what is believed to be regression um uh, specifically thor but this also happens with a lot of other characters like. Um, you know, I'm sure once we see, like, you know, um, we'll see, like, the same stuff that happened in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that, um, we'll see that reflected in the new Captain America movie that's coming out, um, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, Sam Wilson as, uh, played by Anthony Mackie as, like, the new Captain America, like, we're probably just, it's probably just gonna be a rehashing of the same stuff. But I think from a, a fandom perspective, and especially there's a difference, like you said, like, when you are signing a different audience contract, when you enter a movie or TV show than when you enter kind of a, a comic book, like, I think they're very different things. Comic books, you kind of need those, like, uh, you need that consistency in character. Um, I read the, a lot of the Moon Knight comics, and it's really fascinating to see what authors kind of keep um uh, different authors keep about the character, you still need to, especially when different, uh, directors, or, sorry, not different directors, when different writers handle the same characters, it's interesting to see what's kept and stuff like that, but I also think, again, like, it it becomes, that repetition becomes, like, almost like a a sense of punishment for the character, and so that's why you also see, like, a lot of really, uh, kind of negative reactions, I think, like, Thor, Love and Thunder is, like, a lot of it's like, well, this is the same stuff that he has gone through over and over again, like, can't he just kind of get a break?
0: yeah and th- this this speaks also i think to the way that fans react to the to, to the way the loki is treated i think there, there's an interesting connection to be made with this with like the sort of movies that sam raimi makes and why he is such a good fit for the comic book genre because he loves to make movies about guys who are tortured forever um, uh yeah <laughs> and 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 you see that done so beautifully with his spider-man uh you know like 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 all of his movies are kind of about the kind of guy who bends down to pick something up and gets hit with five backpacks um but that that is something that is sort of a necessary part of the structure of comic books or or sitcoms or any of these long writing long running sort of episodic forms of content where or art where you know the character has to go through a version of the same story repeatedly and that's almost yeah, what the audience yeah. expects in those shorter forms but in 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 a movie that's very hard to do and that's something that sam raimi happens to be very good at
1: yeah and and honestly actually it kind of reminds me of how like, in animation um a lot of times like especially in, like you know kiddos in in general or, like in animated shows is that the um uh, a character will wear the same thing over and over again like not changing it's almost like that same beat where it's like you know for a comic book or for a tv show they have to kind of have certain like they have to have a character type type that an archetype that they're fitting in a lot of ways and in a movie that comes as the fourth in a series um that's a lot like that's gonna be very like noticeable and i think that that's very true of of the and thunder is is that's noticeable is that we're and it feels more like a regression instead of kind of you know um feeling it, it it you don't get that kind of sense of repetition it doesn't feel like a tv show it just feels like the character is going backwards and i think that that's a lot where the, yeah. a lot of frustration lies
0: to me I, I don't necessarily feel that frustration because i feel like he always starts in a different circumstance and it, mm-hmm. I, again it doesn't endear me to the character it doesn't make me think like this is one of the good gods or this is a, a, a refutation of what gore is saying but it does sort of seem to me that like you know he tries to sit around and play video games he tries to You know, I I mean, you even see it in the genres of the movie where he tries starts as this sort of Shakespearean, you know, Kenneth Branagh movie guy. And then he, you know, uh, obviously sort of morphs into this more comic character. But he also obviously starts this movie trying to meditate and and be like a like a Zen figure. And there's just sort of a sense that like his uh, his self-centeredness and his like unseriousness. It, like like, there's something about his personality that is never going to be fixed and i find that interesting but i also see how someone who wants to like thor would hate that
1: right i think it's also really interesting because again kind of bringing up gore as well um is is um actually really interestingly that brings up another piece that i've had in kind of floating my head is um ideas of immortality and like gods and immortality and consequences and stuff like that is a really fascinating theme. And I mean, it's kind of blatant if no one's to point it out, but like, um, you know, uh, while like Natalie Portman and, um, Gore are struggling with ideas of mortality and and enough, you know, children's mortality and their own mortality, et cetera, et cetera, um, versus the guys. And even the Asgardians, the Asgardians have an extended life period. And so they seem mortal to us. Um, uh, you know, Thor does age canonically, but, um, very, very slowly. Um, Mm -hmm. and... Um, I, I, think, so again, he's also been, like, all these other gods are supposedly immortal, or they age differently, um, and, I, I think that that's, like, a really interesting point to make about an immortal, is that, again, like, something about the personality, like, just will not change, because, I mean, it's true, like, it's, you know, when you live forever, like, you are, can change forever, pretty much, um, uh, like you know what I mean and so there's gonna be something about you that's but there is gonna be something about you that sticks around and I think that that kind of like you know he was born a prince and like you know he was raised in these sets of circumstances and he's undergone a lot of shit and like you know I think that he does actually kind of does morph a little bit like you said from um you know movie to movie in a lot of ways but I do think that there are certain beats again and I'm like specifically going back to his relationship to Loki which I'm kind of over like I don't really care as much about Loki anymore like um uh, I'm I'm kind of over my edgy middle school phase, but that mm-hmm. you still will hold like a piece in my heart just for that. Um, and um, I, I so I still think that like that that's where people kind of get that that sense of frustration. But you are right yeah. a lot of, about all the other elements of of him as a character, kind of that piece of personality that's for changed, which again like kind of corresponds to his mortality in a lot of ways. Yeah, and
0: I think that is just an interesting tension to bring into the MCU in general, and something that I think maybe. Again, is what Taika is going for here. Is that sort of tension between like the 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 seriousness and the weight of human life, and how people who kind of live forever, both I mean Thor, but also you know Korg and these sorts of characters who can kind of you know get their heads cut off and then keep walking around. Um, and, and that's something we've seen in the MCU before. But I think that there's there is a little bit of a sense there of like he's trying to play off of. You know, um I mean maybe even the idea is that you know this immortal can't really comprehend the the can't really comprehend mortality or the struggles of mortality is sort of finding the thing that that lasts eternally within humans which is which is love, and that's that that may be the thing that is that is trying to that is trying to come around to and you know i I think that's interesting, um but I also think that conversation is something that uh was being had in eternals in an interesting way as well. Yes.
1: Yes. I think that um I, I think that again, kind of like like connecting it to Eternals in a lot of ways of like those conversations are kind of there in the background, but you have to dig for them, I think is really kind of what makes it again like a, a frustrating watch in a lot of ways, where you kind of see the surface level and like you don't get those themes communicated. Kind of what you see is I, I Eternals of course is a different story. Um I don't really want to like, get you know, it? You know, I want to stay on, on Thor Love mm-hmm. and Thunder*, um. But I, I do think that, um, it's an interesting comparison to draw because, again, those ideas, um, of immortality and like, you know, I, I think what's also really interesting is is drawing a parallel to Natalie Portman's character to Jane and to how she is not actually cured by, um, uh, uh, uh Mjolnir. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I really hope I am. But she's not actually cured by Mjolnir. She's um, instead still dying, it's just that she's kind of putting on a really, um, uh, she's putting on a, a, facade, literally, like, um, and a glamour, her strength is, is not real, like, you know, um, she passes away because it's draining her energy and all this other stuff, and so I do think it also, speaks to a very interesting like idea of like bravado and like what is it reflects thor in this way of like what is thor putting on like especially when you keep looking at all those kind of you know shown through jokes like his desire to you know keep mjolnir around and to still use it is really interesting to see like you know it, he's still kind of like nothing without the hammer and like he's it's still kind of like he still has this attachment to it and like you know interesting Kind of reflection of identity. I might be reading too way too much into it, but I, I still think that there's something to be said about that connection between um, Thor's own uh, a sense of identity and also his own, you know, immortality, and um, also Natalie Portman's whole story of like she's dying and still like dying because, in a lot of ways, of the hammer. Moving on from that,
0: I guess we can just talk about uh, what else was in <laughs> this movie. Uh, to, just to sort of round up, uh, everything else. So the goats, very bad. Uh, sh- should, they should not have done it. Uh, sort of if, if it was otherwise fine, I think those goats would have kept it from being a good movie. Yep. Um, Korg is the narrator somehow. Uh, I don't, I don't, to my recollection, there isn't like a solid, like here's, He's talking to the kids, but there's not really a solid, like, here's why Korg is narrating, here's how yeah. Korg is narrating. <laughs> he's like, it feels like a scene that is on the cutting room floor somewhere, you know?
1: Yes, I, I do agree with that. I, I definitely think it's like he's narrating, he's telling the kids, Um, it's, it's like you're missing kind of the rule of threes, kind of, right? Like, there should be like a scene in the middle where he's also talk, like he's talking about Thor in the middle in a lot of ways like, to a group of children, um, because he actually moves, he's, like, talking to one group of kids, and then he's, like, talking to another group of kids at the very end, and it's kind of weird, uh, from my memory, if, if that serves correct, but, um, yeah, it's, like, a very random kind of bit, um, I also, the whole thing with Korg being, like, our only gay representation, as well as, like, mentioning Valkyrie is mostly attracted to women, um, is really, and, and, like, her like, kissing the hand of, like, a naked lady or, like, a nymph or whatever, um, that was kind of, like, heartening, being honest, like,
0: yeah, yeah, and the, the, the specific lore of, of, of how Korg's species is all male, and they reproduce by holding hands, uh, <laughs> is pretty God, it. bad, it's really <laughs> stupid, it's, like,
1: really dumb, <laughs> Whatever. I'm just, I was just like, like, I knew, because, okay, so I, I, that was like one of the spoilers that I kind of saw was that, that, you know, that's how like, they reproduce, And I was like, that just feels like a little homophobic. Um, it feels disingenuous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like stupid as fuck. And it just feels like shoved in there. And so that's also, again, like kind of going back to, um, the whole kind of issue with like Natalie Portman and her character being like killed off for, and for the service of Thor's emotional growth they're in a lot of ways connected. Um, and I, I kind of would like to talk a little bit about like the John lane of of Taika Waiti in that he's kind of presented as like this all, like he's presented as quote unquote, one of the good ones in a lot of ways and a lot of like male directors. And um, I think a lot of that like pertains to how he, he writes, but also um, uh, uh, some ways it pertains to his marginality, which obviously like it's very important that as an indigenous and Jewish director, like he has a voice in a lot of ways, but I think it's still, also leaves room for him to kind of or it leaves room for people to kind of make him to be a perfect human and a lot like a perfect like writer and director in a lot of yeah. ways um and it's really frustrating to see yeah
0: i really specifically uh, you know I, w- I would drill it down a little bit and i do want to talk about it but to the notion that i i think this was part of sort of the self-made like i don't think this was word from Disney but I think I I think you know YTT and it, it seems like he was the one really pushing to you know sell this as a gay movie and to sort of you, you know he somehow developed this reputation and you know obviously Arthur Flagman's death came out around the same time as this movie but that's a separate thing and not, he didn't create that either um but the the you know he he somehow developed this reputation as someone who tells tell, tell tells gay stories and is is part of a queer, you know, community. Yep. Um, apropos of almost nothing.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's the same way as John Mulaney. Like, so how? Like, he's like a slight, like, I think it happens a lot to Jewish men, too. Um, I think John Mulaney just, like, I don't know, like, what his, like, he was kind of just, like, a little white boy, length, you know what I mean? But I, I think it's still yeah, a very similar attributing and trying to give, um, uh, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, Taika yt is, like, more in that sense of, like, queerness, but I think, and while well, John Mulaney is, like, more in the sense of, kind of, like, the perfect feminist male in a lot of ways, um, mm-hmm. and so I think what we see is basically just, like, wokeness en general is is like attributed to kind of these two men and just like certain men who are just chosen almost at random because they did like XYZ right in a lot of ways. Um, I I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a very fascinating thing to watch, frankly, to watch how like, especially male directors and and, and artists and content creators in general are kind of like held up and usually weight male content creators are held up to a very like low standard in a lot of ways um and are praised, it's the same thing as like they're praised for doing the kind of basically decent thing in a lot of ways. And so when they kind of quote unquote like trip up, or if they do something that's like, you know, a little bit viewed as like a little bit off tilter, then all of a sudden it's like uh you know, there's a, a shift and kind of a realization you have to kind of look back at their other work and realize. Um again quoting Jojo Rabbit, utilizing a a, a Jewish woman um for the sake of of you know a, a kid like an, <laughs> a nazi kid like his development is a very interesting and frankly a little bit problematic um uh, a narrative arc yeah. and i i don't know i can't remember if he yeah. wrote that necessarily but i do think that um it's still a very interesting theme um running through the move his movies of of using women for think like, of emotional development of men
0: yeah, there's another Ginger Rabbit episode to be had that was, you know, a, a story that he uh, took from a book and made a lot more sentimental, which is bad. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and, and I, I think there's a, a specific element of the, the vitriol towards him that I think there's already a backlash happening, but I think co- coming up to this movie, there was obviously, there was that clip and that, you know, thing that was spread around from, from a from an early screening where um, someone in the audience asked how gay the movie is, and he said and, very uh, gay, yeah. Or Natalie? Yeah,
1: yeah. He did port- he say it? Or did he
0: pointed? He pointed to Natalie Portman to say so gay, and then he also said so gay, um, <laughs> which, which like ties into what we're saying. God. And,
1: what the- <laughs> Like, I'm, like, I remember, like, I remember seeing that being, like, nobody is kissing anybody in this movie. Like, it's not, like, they mean gay as in, like, a derogatory term. I, I do believe, I'm kidding, I'm totally <laughs> kidding. But, like, I, or I, I, they mean, like, gay as in happy, ha ha ha. Um, but I think also de- directly ties into, um, uh, uh, Tessa Thompson's character, uh, into King Valkyrie mm. and everything like that, and how much her queerness, like, her blatant queerness has been continuously, like i don't know if it's again i don't know if it's disney and you 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 know there might come out something in the future being like we tried to push for this character to say i'm a lesbian and like you know kiss a woman and like really like do, or it comes from tech ytt himself like you i really don't know but this happened at thor ragnarok where they're like oh she's bisexual we were gonna have a scene and we always imagined her like falling away from her girlfriend and they do directly mention her girlfriend which is like a step in like the right direction <laughs> but Still, at the same time, what's very frustrating is, um, the fact that it's just always, and it's always, like, lesbians that it happens to, uh, but, like, the kind of, like, rushing under the rug of, of queerness, and, like, just kind of, like, pointing at it, and, like, giving it finger guns, and being like, we see you, slay, and then, like, immediately turning the other way, and covering it up with a very heterosexual kiss. I, I don't know, it's just, it's, like, it's so frustrating, because, I do you think Tessa Thompson. I don't know if she's necessarily pushing for it herself. Um, I really can't attribute, you know, some of the stuff she said in interviews leads me to believe otherwise, frankly, that she, I don't really think that she believes in, in kind of doing anything, um, uh, for this character, et cetera, like, I, I don't know, I, I don't know. Um, what I do see, again, is just that consistent, like, you know, undercutting of queerness and kind of making it, again, (sighs) with the quirk stuff, making it into a joke and, like, you know, the character like his which i did laugh i'm gonna be honest i did laugh at the very end when we see Korg's new boyfriend and whatever and like his new husband or, or whatever you want to call him like having like the stereotypical like tough finland like mustache. like i did laugh yeah. and i thought it was fucking hilarious but i don't think yeah. I, i'm not sure if they meant it to be funny for gay people or funny for straight people and that's what really worries me
0: yeah we're, we're gonna i i we're, we're probably gonna cut some of that but um i i did want to uh I, I guess that's another element to consider is that like everyone was kind of fucking on this movie like like, like obviously tessa thompson and and Taika ytt and rita ora had that had that uh sort, sort of three-way uh uh dynamic between them and you know natalie portman was kind <laughs> was kind of getting, like like they're you know it's probably <laughs> an element of it and to talk about uh Chevy Chase. It's sort of like you know you, you hear the stories about Caddyshack and the sequels where where it's just like sort of written by like like, like co-written by cocaine. And I th- th- there's probably a case to be made that like the experience of this set, the, the like like what they were putting into the movie, maybe had something to do with the fact that everyone was fucking <laughs>
1: real. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree with that. Um. I, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. It, I, in a sense, it's like you said, co-written by cocaine. In a sense, it was co-written by queerness, but queerness really didn't get it. like. It just kind of was like plastered on the. You know, uh, uh, it wasn't. I, it was. It was kind of whatever the opposite of a ghostwriter is is where your name's on it and uh, you don't really get any credit or you don't really do anything. But yeah, yeah. So uh, just just go over who else is in the movie. We're talking about
0: uh, Valkyrie who um doesn't have much of a, a of an arc i would say uh is is very much around um, that's and, a perfect way of saying it. yes is the yeah. king and stays, stays the king um yeah that d- doesn't really <laughs> like doesn't she really and, do
1: much. she and cork's head have a conversation. Um, that's where all, like, the kind of queerness comes up and everything like that, but then it's, like, limited to that conversation, like, her character arc is not talked about, and it's not really, um, there. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see her and Jane get together, but that's me being a little bit insane. Right.
0: Yeah, it, it's in there a little bit, but they don't, uh, act on it. Uh, Russell Crowe is in this
1: movie. Right, <laughs> yep, Russell Crowe certainly yeah. is in this movie, yep.
0: R- Russell Crowe plays, uh, uh, Right. Yep. Fun. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I I don't I don't dislike it.
1: No, he was having a time. I yeah, he was chilling. Like I I thought that was a really funny scene. Um, I again like the whole structure of this movie is a hot mess in service of of jokes. Um, but like Russell Crowe, man, like just he was having a time. Like you know, and it was Good it was definitely it. like a funny part. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and I think that was one of the more thematically resonant scenes in the movie. That right. idea of like. Uh, uh you know the gods really don't care and they're just you know having fun in paradise and it's like he's not going to come here so why should we <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly right there. right right and he doesn't like 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 they're ultimately right that they do get to remain in that bubble uh probably until the the very end but um uh but yeah i i, I just think that's you know thematically um one of the scenes that works the most and love the other character is is gore's daughter who who is only referred to as love right
1: um was okay. was she played by Chris Hemsworth kid, or was that by um Christian Bales kid? because I know they use their kids on the set. All the actors pretty much use their kids on the set. Uh, and in regards to that, also, like, you don't have to keep this in, but there was also, like, kind of an unnamed lesbian couple that had a son together. I think that they were the ones taking care of Heimdall's son, um, whose name I am genuinely Axel. forgetting. Axel, thank you. Um, uh, they were the ones who took care of, of Axel, um, which I think is also interesting. But the main point was, uh, uh, I thought that scene at the end with, with Chris Thor with um, and Love was... Th- with him, like, putting on her boots and everything. It's just so freaking cute. And I think that's where I got the idea that that was Hemsworth's own kid. It is. Okay. Nice. All right. I'm right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of,
0: there is the the story with, um, with Heimdall's son that is sort of like... So, sort of a dead-naming thing going on there? You know,
1: I did pick up on that. I mean, as the resident trans person in, in the theater next to my... Who had changed their name, actually, I should be... I should be correct myself. Like, sitting next to my other trans friend as the person who had changed his name, I was like, huh, like, this is interesting. Like, there's a little bit something going on, but not enough... I don't think in a way that... In a way that they could pass it off as trans rep and be like, look at this, but... I think that for cis audiences would probably never really pick up on
0: yeah i do think it was an intentional move to maybe you know just have a moment of of you know representing an experience for 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 a trans audience um and maybe building up to the notion of you know doing what they do with gay characters and having like a like a minor trans character and being like oh it's our first trans character and then they can like 10 more
1: Yes, yeah, I, I definitely think that's a that's a good thing to pick up on, and I, I think that you're probably right, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, <sighs> I'm just kind of sighing, like, yeah. yeah, Marvel and queer characters. I'm just like, at this point, like, I'm not, I'm past. Oh my god, I'll take anything, and more like, please just don't touch them, like, leave them alone, let them rest. Like, you know, yeah. I'm just so afraid of and of how frustrating that kind of fight like is is a fight to for representation in the MCU even like worth it because i think the MCU represents so many problematic things and i'm like just leave us alone a little bit and like when representation does come it's probably going to be the same thing as like Avengers Endgame or even like this where it's like not representation that can be viewed by cis people which you know there's a lot of arguments in there about whether or not that's progressive or you know like should we be catering towards this audiences but i digress uh the guardians of the galaxy are in this movie The Guardians of the Galaxy are in this movie. I hate Chris Pratt for so many reasons, so I was... But, like, I do think that, um, it was fun. I liked them. I liked the fact that they were there. I think it's, it's like, it's totally, you know, not, like, really that relevant, um, in a lot of ways, but it was nice to see them. Um, was Gamora there? Uh...
0: I think not because the like w- whatever happened in the Avengers.
1: Okay, good because I know that that was going to be their like I think that was their most recent appearance um since Avengers and is their most their newest appearance since Avengers Endgame and yeah. I we everybody was wondering what was going to happen with Gamora um because everybody was pissed off that she was killed off. Um, and I, I remember, so I, you know, technically there was like, oh, the way that they did it, there was room for like 2014 Gamora to come back and everything like that. But
0: yeah, I think she was not in it, and they will do whatever they're going to do in uh, the next Guardians movie or right. in, uh, the Groot, Groot TV show. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think that they're just throwing shit at a wall and just, you know, hoping it sticks.
0: Yeah, I like that they're doing uh, you know, sort sort of uh different shit on Disney Plus, but I'm not watching any of it. <laughs>
1: oh no. Oh no, no, no. I mean, the the one thing that I like I watched I all like I watched Moon Knight and I watched Loki um and like the rest of it, I'm just like I didn't even watch WandaVision cuz I was like I I just don't I'm not a big Elizabeth Olsen fan. Um uh, so like not whatever. My point is that like I agree. I'm in the same vein of like all right like there's so much going on and the the quality like you know as bad as some of these movies can get the quality of the shows the worst of the like can be really bad i actually i did watch falcon the winter soldier and that was like fine and it's all fine and that's i think the point is <laughs> like yeah.
0: whatever yeah. I, I i watched wandavision which i like a lot and i watched loki which i also like a lot, and i don't know what would get me to watch another one <laughs> like I, right it's, yeah you know, it's just like a case by case thing and i think marvel you know B- disney built up this thing for so long of like every marvel movie is a must see movie and they can't replicate that with the disney plus shows i think
1: right right as much as they try they really 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 try um i mean like the moon knight and um uh falcon the winter soldier and WandaVision especially like and loki i think loki was like kind of i don't know less so it kind of was driven by like the weight of his own personal fandom but like uh i think in a lot of ways like moon knight and falcon winter soldier um even i mean um it is actually interesting speaking of of loki speaking of disney plus shows whatever we'll get back kind of on track if we need to but um a lot of these shows are supposed to lead into movies themselves so they're really trying to force that even though loki was supposed to technically end up in Multiverse of mad like it was supposed to end up as like a segue into Multiverse of madness um from what i understand that very clearly did not happen um but you know it's still interesting to to see kind of how the disney shows um play out uh and i again i don't know what's like you said i don't know what's gonna make me watch another one unless it's like bonding time for like me and my friends because that's basically what it was is we would just watch it up when it came out and then just laugh at it (laughs) like
0: yeah i think it's gonna be the same thing as what got me to watch wandavision and loki which where either it's a character and or actor that i really like or um just something that people say is really good
1: yes you, yes. you know
0: because 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 that was the thing with wandavision is i wasn't sure if i, was, I ended up watching it with my brother which is a whole other element of that but it was also just like people say this is really good so i'm gonna watch it yeah um and i think that is that is uh fundamentally why marvel i you know the movies are making a lot of money to pretend they're like you know on death door or whatever no, but exactly but like, exactly the 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 reason that Marvel is faltering right now is because at the end of Iron Man they announce Avengers. At the end of Avengers they announce Thanos, and then they're building and building to Thanos, doing all this other stuff. And the and now every movie and show is just a a, a follow up to some random other thing. Where right. like Wanda, where like Wandavision ties into Doctor Strange and uh, Loki and Spider Man. It's just like everything is sort of. There's no clear goalpost for anything.
1: Right, exactly. And I think kind of even coming back to the Thor Love and Thunder is, like you said, it's a very Silver agey. It's We are now understanding why comic books kind of fell out of favor in a lot of ways. There's no Mm -hmm. one plot line. It's all of a sudden. And ten times made it worse with the introduction of the multiverse because none of this stuff has any consequences now. You can just reboot and go into another world. And, like, that's the issue with, like, all the stuff with, with, with the multiverse, right? Is, like you know of course they're going to have like you know uh, which by the way Kang and then Secret Secret Invasion are two totally separate things so that's really interesting to see play out but i think we're still kind of what we're seeing again is is really the comic bookification of it all like watching how um all of these different like authors and or sorry writers and directors and um producers and all you know like how they're trying to kind like there is sometimes a plot line that's there and then there's also a lot But what I find really interesting is we're also seeing the consequences of the shift away from kind of very specifically narrative-based and like a long-reaching narrative um, and more towards uh, a desire for character, you know, like, it's about the character and it, it doesn't, like, the story itself doesn't matter as long as this character does XYZ, you know what I mean, like, it's just people want to clip their favorite, it's like the same reason why people like always make fun of like, Cameos and stuff like that. Like, and, uh, and credits, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, this character is doing this and this character is doing that. And, like, you know, oh, like, that's kind of what's been joked about for a long time with the the MCU is this, like, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of honestly kind of a newer thing, actually, is like, um, here's your favorite Blorbo doing this thing. And I think now we're really seeing the consequences of it because there's so many directions that this, this whole series is taking. And, To its detriment.
0: So uh, there's one more character. That character is Hercules, played by Brett Goldstein, who appears in uh, one of our post-credits scenes. And this is... Let me try to count the times that this has happened. So you have Harry Styles as Eros. You have uh, 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 Charlize Theron as uh, Clea, right? At the end of Doctor Strange?
1: Yes, I believe so. And is there another one? not hold on i'm trying to think of like another like yeah but it it has happened three
0: times in this in this phase Uh, specifically yeah yeah uh where we are um uh introduced to characters who are a known actor in some kind of fun costume who are like i have to do something important and obviously the first time that happened was uh was um nick fury at the end of iron man and that that sort of became the you know the calling card that that was how thanos is that's how you know the 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 next step has been introduced but when when you have three of them in such close proximity from such different stories also uh uh Blade shows up in voiceover at the
1: end of Eternals. Also. That's the other one. Thank you. That's great. That's perfect.
0: <laughs> so you have all these completely unrelated threads of new characters who, who the vast majority of the audience has not heard of, uh, who are played by some actor they know in, uh, you know, a little costume and they're just supposed to be excited for it. And I think the, they, they got this idea because Thanos shows up at the end of Avengers. No one knows who Thanos is, but everyone saw Avengers. So they're like, I have to look up who the purple guy is. They, they're not going to do that for every movie. <laughs> oh my god. No, you're exactly
1: right. It's just, again, it's like that's the whole MCU formula, right? It's just introducing, like, but uh, again, it's like the the so many threads thing versus like kind of having one consistent narrative like Thanos pops up multiple times right like he's a consistent mm-hmm. villain it's kind of like what Kang is supposed to be now like coming into this this new um era of like the multiverse yeah. you know BS has <laughs> not appeared in a single movie <laughs> exactly like he appears, and then he appears at the end of Loki we're talking about TV shows right like it's right okay yeah. but I, first of all I do want to say Bricklestein is very attractive and I'm not upset at looking at his face and body. But I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. Like, I'm I, I like, I don't know, like, it feels like kind of going back to like, like my letterbox review, because I'm such a film person, you know, whatever. Um, But I, I definitely like, kind of view this as the end of like Thor's character in a lot of ways. Like, and I view this as like a very good kind of like, like, it it's set up in a way that this is like a there's a lot of finality to it. And some of that has to do with I think there's like again going back to this idea of carelessness and like, you know, it's kind of like a whatever, like we're just gonna have fun and we're all having sex with each other and we're all, you know, like, let's go. Like, you know, it's 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 woo. Like, you know, there's a lot of those kind of elements at play, I think. And once you dig into it, and you know, as we've kind of seen, there might be a different story underlying there. But my point is still like. Like, it's the same thing with Harry Styles. And some of that has to do with Harry Styles' face kind of annoys me. But, like, some of that has to do with, like, I just, like, it's laughable at, like, what's happening. And, like, um yeah. I, I think it's, it's like, another, it's the same thing as Eternals, where it's, like, I don't think this was, you know, Taika Waititi's, like, decision. I don't know if this was his decision. And it, it, at the end of Eternals, it definitely feels like it's not supposed to be his dis de- Like, it was definitely not Chloe Zhao's decision, like, to, to kind of just shove this character. It just feels out of type there hold on please take there, it for me
0: there's a third character in eternals that little troll that pat
1: noswald voices jesus christ
0: <laughs> <laughs> they introduced three
1: new characters oh, and it had like the worst cgi right like it had really yeah. shitty cgi too yeah yeah
0: like introduces harry styles who is thanos's brother somehow
1: uh. <laughs> which like there is like a whole comic book you know back into right. it but again comic books guys are not like solid gold sometimes like they can be very weird but um no it's it's uh and also even again uh the celestials uh uh there's a really i really like the celestials celestials are are, um fascinating to me as as characters but i don't have to get into it but my point is that um uh celestials kind of also being featured in thor love and thunder is really interesting kind of like they have like a little bit of a cameo um as like gods or whatever and so i think that's a very interesting kind of take uh, and it's very much as part part of the whole kind of uh uh separation of disney and like the mcu from the eternals in general like that you're talking about earlier but um Mm -hmm. I don't know i just like it also i think that's one of the elements that definitely points to kind of the downfall and like the decline of the mcu is that again once thanos has been defeated um and now like you know once thanos has kind of been defeated and you no longer have this huge overarching story um then you've kind of lost the plot literally like you you've you've kind of lost the point in a lot of ways um and i i think that that's where the downfall kind of begins. Um, And like we said, it's, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's really interesting, like point in time for the MCU as like a, a a kind of piece of pop culture. You know what I mean? Like this movie marks a very interesting space there.
0: Yeah. And so to, to, to wrap it up because we've covered so much episode, um, Thor, love and thunder is not a good movie. Um, (laughs) i
1: I honestly i didn't even have that much fun like watching it i was too kind of like oh like i don't know yeah
0: yeah yeah it's not a good movie similar to how i feel about some of the other phase four movies i kind of wish every marvel movie was like this um you know i wish all of marvel was just phase four shit where it's just like. You know, so some weird tangent that's like vaguely connected, and this director gets to kind of run wild with it. Yeah, um, more like a comic book. But yeah, but that's not how it's going to be. Nope. <laughs> uh, I uh, yeah, I think in terms of the MCU, it signifies the, the spinning wheels thing a little bit. They mm-hmm. uh, are, are definitely, I definitely think that like when we look back on that whole era, Endgame's the peak, and we're be, or or No Way Home's the peak, maybe, yes. and we're
1: beyond it now. Yes, I a hundred percent agree. 100% agree,
0: but uh, and then in terms of uh, Taika Waititi's career and the backlash, uh, I still th- I, I think he's created some good stuff. I think if you look at you know he gets credit for a lot of shows, but if you look at the show he actually created, Reservation Dogs, I think that's very good. Yep, and and he you know has definitely directed some good movies too. I love Boy, I love uh, what we do with Shadows, and I think he is sort of. In a in a space where he is being given a lot of free reign, uh, or, it's, or either he's being given a lot of free reign and he doesn't know what to do with it, or he is being he is having credit heaped onto him for things that are sort of the the, the result of studio interference. I kind of feel that way about Jojo. I don't know for sure which way it is, but I do sort of feel like it was put into the box of being like an Oscar-y movie and having the, the actors. You know, have emotional monologues and, and arcs and all that. Um, but it, it it's hard to say uh, about YT himself. I definitely think he's being misused right now, and I hope that that changes.
1: That's exactly the perfect way to, of of concluding everything. I think that's exactly what what's been kind of said over this this whole podcast and everything like this whole episode and everything. like uh, again, like I, I think he's um I, I will always uh, uh vouch for uh constraint in art um in a lot of ways i think that that's will help your art flourish in a lot more ways than complete and total freedom will and that's my opinion but you know
0: lucas thank you so much for joining me thank you so much this, for having me yeah this enlightening <laughs> and uh, just 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 so such a rich episode of pulp friction and thank you to the listeners at home for joining uh and if you like the show uh some of the best things you can do you can subscribe to my Substack. you can follow it wherever you are listening to it whether spotify or apple or one of the you know podcatchers it's on all of them um and yeah the best thing you can do is share it with your friends if you like the show and i will see you all next week
1: yay thank you
0: I I disagree, Gary. Gary. I I disagree, Gary.